I needed to go to Harvard Law School and have that sort of external badge of validation for my family, for myself, to let myself pursue my passion. I needed that. I needed to like have my kids and be with my family for the first few years and be like build a strong foundation as a mom in order to like, I mean, I don't need them, I'm still involved, but like in order to feel like that I was sort of, I could dedicate the time I needed to myself for my career now. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave this conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. All right, friends, we are continuing the Kickstarter for the podcast year anniversary. We are crowdfunding for year two of No Straight Path. So if this podcast has added value to your life, please consider supporting the cause, donating to the cause and sharing it with your network. And you can find the link in the show notes. I'm excited for year two already. Thank you all. It's been great. And yeah, we have a great guest today. This one was so inspiring. Someone I certainly look up to, definitely in a different industry, but so many lessons learned from her journey. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you. We have Desta Tedros Ref, and she is a writer and director who has written on a variety of different shows from character dramas like Sorry for Your Loss and The Last Tycoon to action, including Shooter, and then some like The Purge and Grand hotel and she is currently serving as an executive producer on amazon's television reboot of a league of their own and i just love that show such a good show and before finding success in her career in entertainment desta actually went to harvard law school and practiced law for a few years after graduation so as you can see there's definitely a connection here and i had a great conversation with desta about her pivot from law to tv writing director and producer We delve into her purpose, her why, and her life journey, and she's just such an inspiration. I can't wait for y'all to hear this conversation, so let's get to it. All right. Welcome, Desta. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. So we met at a Harvard Law School alumni event, and it was, I think it was a Harvard Law School alumni in entertainment event, and you were a guest speaker, and I just loved your story, loved your journey, loved your thoughtful approach to your life and your journey, and I just loved how you were so open, and I was so inspired. So after the event, I rushed up to you, (laughs) told you all about my podcast, (laughs) And I'm just so happy that you're here and that you said yes. So thank you. I appreciate that. That is quite the introduction that I'm not quite sure I deserve. I look forward to seeing how I can deliver on that. But you know what? Like we both went to Harvard, so we like a challenge. We do. We do. So yeah, let's just start from the beginning. Let's talk about your childhood, about how you grew up, your upbringing, Yeah, let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very rural area. So I'm like from Midwest, like Iowa and Minnesota. I always say like my family fulfilled like the diversity quota for the North, at least the Northwest quadrant of Iowa, if not for the whole state. So it was a very, very small town with a lot of people who were not like me. And I think it made me two things, which brought me to sort of this space in my career in life, which was it made me an advocate. 
because I kind of had to be in certain ways for myself because I was so other as a black queer woman there with also parents who like my, I come from like a biracial family, which I think is in some ways harder for like, especially in a weird way makes you even more other because they're mm. like, oh, well, like I'd be out with my mom and people would assume like she had adopted us or like when you'd be out with your dad, you're like, those aren't your kids, are they? But anyway, both made me an advocate for myself and I think for people who didn't have a voice. And it made me very attuned to finding ways to have my own. You know, it was a sea of assimilation of just like, you know, white Midwesterners. So I just started to write to sort of have my own thing, even if I didn't mm -hmm. share it with anybody. And so like I would just write and I would make little films and I was always interested in entertainment, but I didn't ever see it as sort of like a real career. I think both being from the Midwest and having an immigrant father, it's, you know, you grow up like <laughs> intensely practical and like driven to success in sort of ways that feel a little bit overwhelming, but that's what my therapist is for. <laughs> Although Desta admitted that her immigrant background contributed to her overachieving practical nature, Upon reflection later on in life, she recognized how her father's story allowed her to dream about a different life. Her dad was from Ethiopia and he was sent to the Midwest to escape the Civil War. He grew up with a lot of privilege that he wasn't able to take with him to the States. Yet his privilege afforded him a mindset about what was possible and it rubbed off on Desta. She said she was raised with a middle-class Midwestern upbringing where everyone felt more or less the same. Yet her dad opened her eyes to living differently. He opened her eyes to what was possible. Little did she know she was tapping into this possibility as a writer when she was a little girl. I was curious about what interested her at that time. I wanted to know what she was writing about. What stories was she telling? When I look back, I think a lot of it was just processing, I think, sort of my otherness of being like black in a very white space, being queer in a very straight space. But it was more kind of I feel like oftentimes passion reveals itself if you let it and it was like funny since being a kid like when I was like eight a summer with my grandparents and they had like a video camera and I spent the whole summer making movies just little movies like commercials with my sister like little plays or stories that we would videotape there were always just little films about my life or things that was processing but I did it so much that my grandparents gave me that video camera and this is like in the 90s where I'm sure that like cost like <laughs> 1500 bucks in 90s dollars but like you know I just like I didn't see it as the time it was just something to do but when I look process it now as an adult it was like a way to have a voice and like create something that felt sounded and looked like me because there just wasn't a lot of that. Although Desta was making movies since she was a little girl, she never considered writing or entertainment as a viable career. Her immigrant background and risk-averse upbringing influenced her thinking on this, yet she never lost that connection to storytelling and film. I got up enough courage after college to, because I graduated a little bit early, to like move to New York and like, I never really like was in entertainment. I did like one internship and then I got scared and got like a real job. But I like bopped around in it. You know, I write and like make little small films and like little things like that. But I never had the courage to really pursue it as a real thing. So after a certain amount of time, it was like, okay, I need to like, you need to be a real person and have like a real job, which is how I ended up at law school, which I loved intensely. I love my time in law school. I love the people. I love the intellectual rigor. I love the advocacy. I just didn't like the law. <laughs> I am not a detailed person. I didn't 
like, and I think so much of specifically like the way I was very removed from like real consequences with real people. And I also thought it was a space I would go there and like find myself. If you're not going to like, but you're going to do law, like HLS, like Harvard Law School is like the place to do it, right? It's the place yeah. where it's like, if you're going to do it, you might as well like go hard. And like, I've like, all these opportunities are here in the world for me. And I still don't want to do this. It is probably not what I should do. And also I was finding ways I had thought that sort of my writing and narrative skills would sort of be put to the side. And I started to, I mean, law is just persuasive communication. The strongest way to persuade someone is by telling them a story. These things that I thought were mutually exclusive were really sort of complementary skills. So mm -hmm. in sort of my entire law career, while I was in my law school career, I was just finding ways that it was to integrate it to the point where when I was in law school, I helped start this. I'm not sure if it's still going, but it was this documentary studio where we would make like short advocacy films. And that was really, for me, my first kind of weird step off the path that I got mm -hmm. into the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau, which is like when you apply in Harvard, there are like three, you have like the law review, which I am not smart enough to be on. Uh, you have the Legal Aid Bureau and you have the student aid. They're like the big three organizations. And I had gotten into the Legal Aid Bureau and it's like a prestigious thing. I just remember people like, congratulating me like people knew yeah, about no, it and congratulating yeah. me and I was like wow and my wife is like I'm married I have two kids she was like we weren't married at the time we were engaged she's like what are you doing it's like what do you mean what am I doing of course I would do this this is the thing that you're supposed to want to do and people tell you to do and she's like but you don't it's going to eat up all your free time and you don't want to do it at all like, it's like you have your whole career to, like, be a public interest lawyer. Why don't you do something that you really like this documentary studio? Why don't you do that? And I was like, huh. Yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up being the only person that year to turn it down. And in doing that, and I did my doc stuff, it actually, in a weird way, led me to my career that I have today. Because through that, I met a funder whose name was Chris Kaiser, who was an HLS alum, who gave me my first job. He like funded the doc studio. I talked to him about like, I was interested in what he did because he was a writer. He gave me the best piece of mm -hmm. advice I ever had in my life, which was like, you need to write and have interesting experiences, which is what led me to what I did next. After law school, I turned down like a law firm because I really didn't want to do that. And I ended up getting offered this position as a basic, like a public interest fellow in Mississippi. And I spent three years in the Mississippi Delta just doing on the ground social justice work, which is tremendous. It was heartbreaking and heartwarming and all the same things and completely transformed the way I see the world and the way I tell stories. And, you know, Chris led me to that and he ultimately gave me my first job, which like brought me here. So it was like taking like yeah. those first few steps off is what led to me to like where I am today. Wow. I love that. Where were you working? You said right after law school. I think you went to the Mississippi. Yeah, I took a fellowship position. So I was based in Clark's. I was through a joint position with Harvard and the Mississippi State University. But I was based in like Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is like a population of like 15,000. It's like rural Mississippi Delta. I'm always like me and my white wife and our interracial gaybies went down to the rural Delta <laughs> to do good. <laughs> and what was that experience like? It was, I mean, again, it was everything. It was, again, emotional when I talk about it. It was amazing. It was like, there's a saying that like, it's like when you're in the rest of America, Mississippi doesn't feel real. When you're in Mississippi, the rest of America doesn't feel real. And it's so true. It is such a singular place because it is so rich with so much beauty and such like interesting people and such interesting history. You know, you have like all this blues and music and art that is from there, but also built on the backs of like so much 
discrimination and pain that is just literally like there is just trauma oozing out of the soil, but also so much love has gone into like papering over it. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like a place you go for three weeks and you're like, I need to stay for three years and you go for three years, which is about how long was there about three and a half. And you're like, I need to stay 30 to like understand it. But it was truly like, it's so funny when I think of myself as I went down there, because I'm just like, I'm embarrassed at like 2013 me going down there being like, I'm here to like, help you guys make change and realizing no, it was like they changed me. Mm. It was like I went there feeling like I was like an earthling landing on Mars and really like I was the Martian. It just was a really, really interesting place, especially as a coming out of it as a writer, because I had to do so much everything when I first got there felt so backwards. I had to do so mm. much work to understand why there was forwards to people. Like it was just so much deep sort of empathy and like getting inside people's brains and motivations. But it really, really transformed the way I just see people and characters and story. I love that. I love that. So you were there for three and a half years and then you started your writing career. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I was always writing like, and I think that is okay. the thing, like I'd done a, like a screenplay instead of like a, a winter project one year, I was always sort of writing and I had considered like, you know, there are a couple of paths out of law school. It's like, oh, maybe I'll just go to a law firm for a couple of years and pay off my debt. And then I can pursue my dream. And I was like, that feels like a trap. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> which it is. I mean, a hundred percent, it works for a lot of people, but it also is a trap where I'm like, you get used to the money, you don't leave, you just stay there and you never actually live your dream. And then I also had considered moving out to LA. I'm like, I guess if I really want to do this, I can move to LA be an assistant and like work my way up as soon as I possibly can. And like, again, that was like Chris, who is so gracious, who, like I said, gave me, there are three good pieces of advice I've gotten. He told me, I need to know one person to break in. It was him. And he was the guy who gave me my first job. But he's like, you need to have interesting experiences and write. And that's how I mm -hmm. ended up in Mississippi. I met another person who, when I was here, was sort of like, what you need to do is listen to your life which is very true because sometimes you're trying to force something to happen when it's not like meant to be. I needed for me, I needed to go to Mississippi to understand people better and to like, I had young children, they were babies. I needed a few years of them like <laughs> being there and them growing up before I could like pivot into a career. And I think the other thing that helps with the industry is like people's punishment is they have to live with themselves. I think when you're not like when you're trying to build some sort of different career and people don't get it, and people push back. It's like really not about you. It's about them. But yeah, when I was in Mississippi, I just wrote. I tried to take things in. I wrote. Wasn't good enough. Kept working. <laughs> and then eventually, <laughs> I got something good enough that I sent to him based on my experiences of being there. And it was literally so random how it happened because he was like, oh, I have the show. Like, if it goes, I'll bring you on. And I was like, sure, sure. But he did. Literally, I remember being in my law office in Mississippi, getting this call from like, it was like all these like terms I did not understand. It's like, hey, it's like so-and-so from CAA, like the VP at like Sony wants like to check your veils for next week to like meet. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I live in Mississippi, so I cannot be there Friday as it is Thursday. Could it be any other time? And like, sure, sure, sure. Like, what are your veils for Monday? <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'm going to LA next week. And I did. And I like met with them the following week. I met with, I think, Sony on like the beginning of the week. And then as I was leaving, they're like, did you meet with Amazon? Because it was like a 
the Amazon was network. I was like, no, am I supposed to do that? They're like, well, yeah. So then I met with them and then I had like, I got the job offer like the end of the week. And then I flew out to LA like two weeks later and I based into a room and I've basically been here ever since. What a journey. There were a few pivotal moments that stuck out to me. One was Desta's wife's advice about foregoing the offer to join the prestigious organization in law school, the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau, also known as HLAB, which is an organization where students gain practical experience serving low-income clients in need of legal services. It's a wonderful organization, but Desta's wife was right. It's a big time commitment. Instead, she told her to follow her interest, pursue the documentary studio she started, and it's a beautiful moment that helped change the course of her trajectory. Her partner acted as a mirror reflecting Desta's actual authentic desires. I wanted to know more about Desta's wife and her children. I could also glean that she was navigating motherhood at a relatively young age before her career took off. I was curious about that journey too. I had my daughter my third year in law school because everybody's like, that's a good time to have a baby. And they're not wrong. It actually is because it's like you've got your job and like things are chiller, but you're still a broke student without money. So that is also like very hard. And it also is like it takes a village. And I had when I like give so much credit, like my oldest was like raised at HLS by like my friends would like it's like, again, like to the HLS of it all, like there was a spreadsheet. They would sign up for shifts. We would check out rooms like in study rooms in Wasserstein and then they would just like I would drop my daughter off to one of them they would watch him I would pick her up (laughs) but it was like intense but it was also it was like right for me it was like the time I wanted in my life for us to have kids my wife I've been with my wife for a very long time since like almost 16 years she's German and we met before I was ever in lawyer like she was always like when I met you you were like a normal person and like she's like she's like I didn't know what I was signing up for both in a good way and sometimes a bad way but it's funny because she is number one she's German so in this weird way she's very practical but also very impractical in the sense like she doesn't believe that I'll like clean the house today but she's also the person who's like yeah sure you have like six figures of law school debt and we have a baby and a baby in the way but I I think you can make it in Hollywood I think you should follow your dream But I find like, I don't know how to phrase it. It's like she is like a compass in a way because she is not impressed. Like I feel like all of us get sucked into it. And I think there's also something German about it too because I'm always like, America's like, reach for the sky. Everybody can be president. And like people fall short. And Germany is just like, shoot for the middle and we'll all get there. So like starting Mm -hmm. expectations are somehow more grounded in this way that like and somehow works to our advantage but she's not in the industry she wasn't a law student she wasn't like she's not in entertainment she's not impressed by like the prestigious things and in that way she's like really works to be a compass for me like in the Mm -hmm. sense of it's like do you really want to do this I know you she's good at pointing out sometimes I don't want to hear it (laughs) but she's like this isn't you this is like what you think like is like prestigious or fancy or like you're being drawn which we're all guilty of right you're being drawn into the pack but it's not what you want so she did that with hlab she did that with you know with like going to a law firm she was totally down to go to rural mississippi (laughs) like that was like like, yeah let's do this she did that even with some shows that i've been on she's just like you don't want to say yes to that don't say yes to it and having someone who's completely invested in sort of your fulfillment is really really big and has been really helpful. Okay. So I just wanted to know about the transition to 
a league of their own. How did that happen? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting and it is so much of like why I do think, I feel like when people talk about following their purpose and like following your joy, I really think that's that piece of you, that unique piece of you that you are actually putting out into the universe. That is like when you are really following that, that is so, it's like a, such a concentrated version of you. It is unique. And usually the world takes notice because it is special. Mm. And I think league is sort of a proof of concept of that. Cause I was on this, I had taken a job on law and order organized crime <laughs> right in the midst of like the George Floyd protest where like they got in trouble because they had this white writer who was like, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. We were just like, Oh God. But they like needed a black woman. They're like, we need a black woman staffed. <laughs> And I was very morally conflicted, but I was like, maybe I can change the machine from the inside. Like, I'm going to try. Like, let me try. And I couldn't. And it was exhausting. (laughs) And I got in the midst of it. I got the job offer. Like, my agent was like, knew one of the producers on League is they're looking for someone like upper level. Like, would you be interested? And I was like, well, yeah, I love the movie. And it was like, it's such a part of like queer canon, even though it's not like explicitly gay. And they were going to add like black stories, like half the cast is black. And I was like, I really want to be a part of it. And it was not the thing that was like people would project as good for my career, right? They're like, how could you like leave Law and Order? Like literally, it's so hard to get jobs on that sort of a show. They run for forever. Like they're like the residuals you will make will put your kids like through college, your grandkids through college. Like you can't leave. And I was like, I'm not happy. And this is a show that speaks to me. And for me, you know, and I think that like what I've got out of that is just sort of a proof of concept of following your joy. Cause I started on that show as a writer. I was so passionate about the stories. I gave that show me. Right. It was clearly, it's the show of anything that I've so concretely gave pieces of me. Like my mom will like watch it and be like, oh, that's what we said, like in our house when we were as a kid. It just is like, mm-hmm. because it was so much about stories like me, I gave them my stories. And I feel like that was rewarded. You know, I started as a writer on that show, but I was so passionate about it and I got so involved. Like I was, Will and Abby are the co creators. Like they elevated me to like executive producer and, had me come to Pittsburgh and help run the show. You know, it transformed my career. I've got like big deals out of it. Now I can say like, I've helped run a show and I, you know, I just have a showrunner. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's been announced yet, but I'm like, I have an overall deal with Sony. Like all these things came out of it that have changed the game for me as a writer and things that people, writers like me, you know, are desperately trying for. And the reason I think that it happened for me is because I was so intentionally following my joy and my purpose. I was like, I do not care that I'm giving up tons of money, that I'm giving up like whatever title or whatever you think this will do for me. This is more important to my soul and to what I'm going to put out in the universe. And it was rewarded. Wow. I love that. Can you tell us about a challenging moment in your journey and perhaps a lesson learned? Uh, I mean, I think there's all sorts of different lessons learned. I think there are different sorts of challenges. I think there's opportunity challenges because I find so much of this industry is just hurry up and wait. You have to be, there's so much waiting. And then when the waiting is over, it's like immediate. Like it's like, and now you have to be ready like today. And I actually think for someone like for an HLS person or for someone who's type A, that's a lot of reason why it's both why we're ill-suited and well-suited for this industry. Ill-suited in the mm-hmm. sense that 
like I'm a type A overachiever with lots of anxiety and the swirling in the sea of uncertainty and unknown is incredibly hard. (laughs) And like, especially people who go to like law school are like success driven and risk averse. So this is a industry where success is not guaranteed and there are a lot of risks. So it is very hard to manage that emotionally and mentally, but also why it's also easy to be incredibly successful. Because if you can do that work, the rest of it is easy. I am very good at like showing up and overperforming, crossing my T's and dotting my I's and like being ready when the situation presents itself. So I think there's like, so just managing that is like difficult. I think there is the emotional work of just like being on a show, like for example, like I said, for me, like finding a higher purpose is really important because this industry can be so tough and ridiculous. I mean, I remember one time I pitched this project that was like really meaningful to me and we you know, we worked on the pitch for like a year chain and plus we pitched to like five different places. And the next week, basically like three of the five places we had pitched, the executives had moved or been fired. And so like it didn't sell because like most of the people Mm -hmm. we talked to were gone and it was just like weird circumstance and timing. And Like, I think you want it to be a meritocracy and you want there to be, in essence, straight path and it just isn't. So the arbitrariness of it can be really, really, really frustrating. And the powerlessness in that can be really frustrating. And then I think there's also sort of like, you know, just the day-to-day interpersonal work. I think especially as someone who comes from like, I guess it is very analogous to law in the sense that like really... We're in the business of persuasion, which means there's not a right answer. And I think that's hard sometimes for me in a creative process, because oftentimes when you are right, it's too late. It's like usually like by the time you like have been proved right, it's like after a show has come out and like critics and audiences don't Mm -hmm. like it. Like, well, now it's too late. And I tried to tell you before, but this whole business is creative it's subjective not objective so it's easier to have people not listen to you and Mm -hmm. that can be frustrating but I think specifically for me I find it intrinsic that's why I like to the conversation of having a higher purpose I find it hard as a black woman or just like a black person oftentimes in this industry because there are so many spaces not on league and in some places not but where you are the only person of color in a conversation, I actually find it increasingly frustrating the more I move up in my career because there are fewer and fewer people like me in spaces. And it is both an injustice <laughs> that there aren't and also so frustrating because it becomes even more important to tell, you know, POC queer like stories and even harder to be understood because there are less people who like are there to speak the same language. Like, that's one thing I appreciate, even with League, where, like, just almost everybody in the room is queer. So there is a certain level of understanding we already have that we can slip into a more nuanced conversation about storytelling, because we're not supposed to prove, like, we're not having to prove ourselves. Like, we're not trying to have be understood on foundational things, which I find in this industry still happens and is just very, very frustrating. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I feel like it's certainly something that probably happens in most industries, especially as you move up. I mean, I can see that in legal practice as well, you know, really trying to fight to be understood in those rooms because there's not that many people of color, especially as you move up. 
And I don't know if there's an answer to that. <laughs> it's like get more of us into the room, get more of us, you know, <laughs> up in these positions, but it's a slow process. And yeah, I don't have the answers. I don't think there's any answers <laughs> other to, I mean, because it's like you just have to keep doing the work. It's exhausting and yeah. it shouldn't be that way. And it is. But I do think there's a power to just like acknowledging that. I think there's just something where like you keep going because you think it's going to be a little bit easier on the other side <laughs> and there are ways that are easier. Mm -hmm. And then there are ways that it's harder and you just have to like, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Obama. I'm just going to say it was him, <laughs> but it's like progress is like you're swimming <laughs> against the tide. Like you're not ever going to get to a place like where you're there. <laughs> You just have to keep swimming and like just at least framing it in our minds that way kind of is different because it's like having kids. You're like, well, I'm never going to rest for the rest of my life. The fallacy was that I was like going to get back to normal sleep. If I would have just accepted at the top that my whole life sleep patterns and like framework was going to change forever, it would have been the top of all of it so much better. And I think that is something to a lot of like just the work that has to be done of of realizing that it just will always keep going. Mm -hmm. And also, and I saw this with my time in Mississippi too, I think the hard thing about any of this work is it's just exhausting. It's just exhausting being the only person of color in the room. It's exhausting making change in spaces where, and that's not like the spaces I'm currently in, but I've been in a lot of them and that's just true to the industry. And it's not by bad actors. It's just people who have, you know, if it's not your first priority, it will always get sacrificed. It's always my first priority. So I'm always fighting for it to be someone else's, but it just is always going to be a fight. But what I was going to say is like, I think that it's, it's exhausting and that it's okay to take a break sometimes. Sometimes like that's how we are able to keep doing the work is that it's okay to pause. Like I had to do that. Like even these yeah. midterms, I was just like, I can't. I canvas with my kids. I knock on doors. I give money. I call. I do all the things. And I was just like, I'm so tired after like four years of Trump and like everything that we had to do, everything I have to do in my life and industry to like yeah. make change that I just need to take a break and I'll jump back in when I'm ready. And thankfully the midterms went mostly well, but I think that that like just also validating that that is okay and necessary is, is important because I think specifically, I think for black women or just for everybody, self-care is always sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that point. And it's something that you're definitely preaching to the choir because that is something I advocate for <laughs> a lot within my community and just protecting your peace and even just the amount of time that you spend reading the news and the negative parts of the news, you know, limit that every day, take it in, but limit it. You, know, you don't need to be taking in you know, images of unfortunate incidents, like police brutality. Like you don't need to watch every video to stay informed as a black person in America. Like you have to protect your peace so you can continue to do the work. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we need to have joy as people of color in order to do the work. And we're humans. We should be allowed to do that. So I'm a huge advocate, but it's something I'm still learning because I think it's hard when you are in these positions where you are the only one and you have a certain level of power and influence, you feel a responsibility. And so you want to be able to do it all, but you can't. And I love that there's been a lot of rhetoric around that now, and I'm seeing people take care of themselves. And that is something that I'm passionate about. I'm glad we're doing, and I'm glad you recognize that. And you're fighting the good fight, but also taking a break for yourself. And I just wanted to know if you had any 
advice for people who are going down a non-traditional path? Like you were going down this traditional path as an attorney throughout your whole life, actually writing has shown up. And so it seems like deep down, you've always known that this was perhaps the right thing for you. Can you talk to the people who might be in that space and might want to make a pivot. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I mean, I think passion reveals itself. So if there's something that you want to do, like, you know, what's there, like, you know, what you really want to do. It's just about deciding whether you want to pursue it or not. And I think for me, there was a I still have that in my head, where it is like, almost like the type A in me where I'm like, I want to do things as fast as possible. And like when I'm not doing it, like I used to, that was something I remember when I would like, it would even still happen in Boston because they would be like filming. I would just get so upset. I would pass like a film set and it would just make me so angry because I was like resentful that I wasn't doing that. Like I felt like I was a coward or something. I was not on the path that I wanted to be. And I wish I would have had more grace for myself. And I think everybody should. I do think that advice I said, it was like, be brave, but listen to your life because that is actually probably the best guide. I wished that I had like moved out to LA. I thought what I was supposed to do is move out to LA when I was 20. And like, I for so long thought I should have moved out then and like had worked my ass off to try to work my way up to become like a writer or a filmer, like any of those things. And like the way I did it was actually the way I needed to, right? Like I needed to go to Harvard Law School and have that sort of external badge of validation for my family, for myself, to let myself pursue my passion. I needed that. I needed to like have my kids and be with my family for the first few years and be like build a strong foundation as a mom in order to like, I mean, I don't leave them, I'm still involved, but like in order to feel like that I was sort of (laughs) I could dedicate the time I needed to myself for my career now. There is no race. You will get there. Like when you get there, as long as you decide that you want to do it and commit to it, you have to have talent, but it is more important how hard you work and that you are ready. And if really how hard you work, and also I think being, you know, how hard you work and like sticking to your own moral compass in your work, people actually really respect that. It will get you where you want to go. You just need to divest yourself from the timeline. I have had so many things in my life that took so much longer and so much shorter than I thought would ever happen, kind of like all the same time. And I ended up exactly where I wanted to. I was 32 when I ended up in a writer's room. But like, you know, I've been in LA for almost like six years. And I went, like, I was able to like go super fast once I got there. You know, I went from like staff writer to like being an EP really fast because I was ready. It took me a lot of time to get mm. my first break in in like a sideways path. But once I was there and like had met my purpose, I was able to run with it. And the other thing I think for people is like figure out what level of risk you're comfortable with because taking, you know, the road less traveled and making your own path comes with risk. So you just have to find what is okay with you and like what's not and manage that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great advice. Great advice. And no, you have reached a level of success and you are doing amazing work on really interesting shows that a lot of people watch. I'm actually going to go and catch up on a league of their own after we finish recording. (laughs) And so I'm just curious about you internally. Like, do you like who you're becoming? 
Do you like the version of yourself that you are today and who you're becoming? I do. I mean, always more work, always more work to be done. <laughs> but I think <laughs> as I move more into my career and more into like the life that I, I mean, I live the life that I wanted for myself. You know, like I talk to my kids about like people having their dream career. I literally have mine, but it is excavate and I'm still doing it. It's like a lot of having to like listen to myself and what I want and believe that's possible for me, which I think is hard for a lot of, it's hard for all of us, I think. But yeah, I do think I am. And at this stage of my career, I am more and more trying to hone in on the things that really give me purpose and passion. Like there is, I think with any industry, when you're desperate for an opportunity, you kind of like make it work for you. And that is literally like a television writer's job is like, you're like trying to make it work. Like, it's like whatever you're like mimicking someone's voice to try to give them what they want. And the more power you accumulate and the more you move up your career, you can step more and more into your own voice. And that's kind of what I'm in the process of doing. I think doing more things that center what really makes me passionate and what I really like. And the, and again, the things that make me passionate are really about like amplifying marginalized voices and telling stories of people who don't usually get to be seen. And it is the combination, right, of like that, the writer and the advocate I was as a child, really sort of marrying those. Because that was also what I loved about law school, how it really trained me to be an advocate. And now I'm just getting to not just be that for myself, but for the stories I'm telling. And the more I do that, the more I just feel like, I think I really just feel peace, because I don't have to compromise <laughs> the pieces of myself that I'm used mm -hmm. to doing. So I think there's still a lot more work to do and there's a lot that I want to do in a lot of this industry I want to change, but I feel like I am hopefully on the right path. And some of that is just saying no, which I think is always when you're like on a alternative path, saying no, saying no to like things that don't fit your mission, fit your purpose, fit you. And I've said no to like relatively big things because I'm just like, it's not what I want to do, but it's ended up getting me to the place that I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Oh, so inspirational. And I just love that you use the word peace because that's something that I'm really interested in too. I, when I was younger, I, and you can probably relate to this, overachiever, really wanted to get the next gold star. And those are the questions I would ask mentors, you know, what did you do to get to where you are today? And how did you do X, Y, and Z? And I was speaking very quickly and I was very excited about, you know, how do I become partner and whatever other aspirations I had at that time. And my new question is, do you have inner peace? How did you get there? Do you like who you are? Do you like who you're becoming? Do you like your life? Are you happy when you wake up? I know we can't be happy every day. That's being human, but for the most part, and those are the new questions. And so you're someone that embodies that. And so I'm just grateful that you shared your journey and your thoughts. If you have any final thoughts, I'd love to hear them. But this has been just really great. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have any final thoughts. I just think to the questions that you're asking and the way that you're refocusing. Like, I think I do that in my own life because you start to realize there's not a thing that will be enough. There's not a thing you will get that's going to give you peace. You need to make peace. You know, it's not, you know, I had a Harvard law degree. It wasn't enough. 
I mean, even like being at the premiere of, I like when I went to the league premiere, premiere of a show, I had such a voice and I was so incredibly proud of. And it was amazing to be there. And it wasn't enough because nothing is going to be enough. You have to decide that you are enough. And like in that journey, you will find the things that make you full. And that is like your path. Like the truth is like, Making television isn't what makes me full. I love it, but it is advocating to see people like me or stories like mine that haven't been told on screen is what makes me full. And I have found so much peace in centralizing that in my path. And I think to every person, it's really looking at not what you want to do, but who you want to be and how that brings you joy. Yeah, mic drop. That is a final thought, by the way. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.